when it comes to having big thoughts about God. The two biggest thoughts that I often uh, kind of come back to, I circle around and return to uh, often. That well, the, f- the first is that idea that God is perfectly holy, and I am not. And for the idea of me to come near to God without Jesus is, is the equivalent of trying to land a snowball on the surface of the sun. And yet, because of Jesus, we can hear words like we get in, in Hebrews 4, invitations to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. A second big thought about God is how monumentally great God is and how small I am. Can we see that in Isaiah 40? Look again, verse uh, 22. This is, this is how Isaiah puts it. Speaking of God, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows them away and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God is monumentally great. And part of his greatness is the fact that he sustains life, the life of little people like you, like me. I was, um, this afternoon, I was sitting in the, the Costa Cafe uh, on St. Matthew's Retail Park. Um, there was a children's birthday party happening in Ninja Warrior. Um, it was a TV show, if you don't know that, kind of think back to Gladiators. If you don't know that, think back to, it. it's a knockout. That kind of thing for kids. Um, I'll just go and sit in Costa for a little bit. And I kind of, I don't know if you ever do this, you sit somewhere and you people watch. I love doing it. It's fascinating. And as I was doing it, I had these verses in my mind and watching all the people in that cafe having their conversations and their interactions, whether it's two people intensely talking to each other, whether it's a group, the group of three next to me uh, laughing and catching up with one another. Those conversations, even the man next to me who, who was obviously waiting for somebody and just regularly tapping on the table and just thinking the thought that every moment, every conversation, every person, every tap on the table was being sustained by God. In that moment, it was almost overwhelming to think about. Why not, why not have it a go this week if you're somewhere where it's busy with people? Watch the people and just think every single movement and moment is being sustained by God. It's overwhelming to think about and it shrinks you right down to about the size of a grasshopper. Every breath that we breathe, every leaf that falls from a tree in autumn, every design of a snowflake, Every star as it appears in the night sky. Every spring bulb that pops through the ground. Sustained by the creator. The great God, the the creator craftsman that we've been hearing about over the last couple of weeks is also God the sustainer. He's the God of verse 29. The God who gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. 
a few, a few um, weeks ago, one of the days when several of the different professions in our country uh, decided to go on strike. Uh, I, you know, was just doing a bit of a thought experiment with uh, Emily, my wife, and I, I said, to her, I, what, do you, what do you think would happen if I went on strike? She looked at me a little bit quizzically, uh, and her response was faster than I would have liked it to have been. And she said, I don't think anyone would notice. It cut me down to size. It's, you know, one of the wonderful things. You know, God, God gives us uh, humbling moments. Nobody, and she's, she's right. Nobody would notice. What if God went on strike? Let's just say you'd notice. It wouldn't just be the case that ordinary life is disrupted as people uh, make a statement. Instead, life would be no more. Such is every single thing's dependence on God. Uh, this sermon series in the, in the evening is based uh, on a book called uh, uh, Incomparable, written by Andrew Wilson, uh, looking at different aspects of God's character. And he uses an illustration uh, that has stuck with me about this. And this is why during the, the song I was uncovering the piano. I can't play the piano. Uh, people in my household can. Uh, I, oh, I don't know where middle C is because... On the piano at home, there's a little screw below it. That's where I know it is. Um, I'm going to play a note. Let's go. Let's go with that. I don't know what note it is. Can we hear that? Can you all hear that? Okay. Um, I'm going to play that note. I'm going to count us in. One, two, three. I just want you to hum for five seconds that note or thereabouts that note. Okay. So three, two, one. Very good. But notice when we stopped humming, the noise stops. It goes. That sound is only there whilst we sustain it. And in his book, Andrew Wilson says that the universe is a bit like that in the same way. Only as God sustains the universe and all that goes on and your life does it exist. There isn't an independent reality apart from God. But I this evening want to take this kind of illustration a little bit further. Uh, so I'm going to, oh, I can't even remember what note it was. It wasn't that one. It was that one, wasn't it? Okay, we're going to do this time, but I'm going to count it in three, two, one, and just hold that note as long as you can. Let's see what happens. Three, two, one. Is he still going? Very good. Catch your breath. We struggle to sustain that note for more than what, half a minute? If that. Why? Because we get tired. We need to stop. We need to catch our breath. When it comes to God sustaining the universe, God doesn't need to stop. He doesn't need to catch his breath. He just keeps going. When it comes to the sustaining of the universe, God is not like us. So we read in verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends in the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. 
and his understanding no one can fathom. The reality of life for you, for me, is that each of us gets tired and weary. And even when we're feeling strong, we also know our weaknesses at the same time. And we also know those times where we are extra weary. We are extra tired. I don't know what you put down on your piece of paper with um, Lizzie earlier on. I drew a packet of crisps. A very particular packet of crisps. They are the best crisps in the world. Crispy bacon frazzles. I drew a packet of frazzles because I was frazzled by last week. It was just one of those weeks where a few things went out of kilter and and went wrong. And I I was frazzled. We know those times where we're extra tired, extra weary. If that's you this evening... If you've ever known that, if you think you will ever know it, you are in great company. The original hearers of Isaiah 40 uh, were God's people who had been taken into exile. They'd experienced this great loss in their lives and decade after decade after decade had passed. And it just felt like God had abandoned them, left them in Babylon. And so they became full of complaints. They say verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. What did they need to hear? What is it that we need to be reminded of? Well, yes, we're going to grow tired and weary, but God does not. God is an endless source of strength. He's he's not like us when we try and sustain that note humming and run out of puff. The promise of Isaiah 40 is God is this endless source of strength. He is the God who steps into history. He is the God of rescue and restoration. He is the God of Jesus Christ. And he says, to whom can you compare me or who is my equal? The living God is the creator craftsman who we've heard over the last few weeks. And he sustains Every moment of every part of our lives. And for for us as his people here tonight, if we're the people of Jesus, we can know, we can experience that brilliant verse right at the end of what Chris just read. Verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There is the promise of God's sustaining power, strengthening our lives so that we will experience at times moments where it feels like we are soaring. I invite you this week, if you're ever walking out in them, have a look up the red kites are about. and Just watch them soar. It's, it's majestic. And it's, I guess it's the image of times when we are especially aware of God's goodness, his greatness, a real sense of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, lifting us. Other times, it's a promise that we will run. We will be running and we won't grow weary. Times when we're enabled to keep going, to keep serving. It's like, like a jug of water being poured out, and yet the jug of water never runs out. Or other times where God sustains us and strengthens us, so we keep walking. We keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We keep walking in step with the Spirit 
through circumstances or situations we couldn't imagine navigating our way through or just keeping going in the ordinariness of life. And we kind of go, that, that just sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Soaring, running, walking. When we're weary and tired and weak, we get this strength. And the question I'm always left with is, how, what does this look like practically? Like, it sounds great, but what, what, in the here and now, in the reality of the world, what does it look like? And I want to take us to a very particular example uh, in the Old Testament. 1 Kings, chapter 19. Why don't you flick there in your Bibles? Somebody can shout out the page number when they get there. 1 Kings, chapter 19. 360. Oh, nice. And we meet Elijah. If you get, We're getting a bit of a case study with Elijah of how God sustains Weak and weary people. We meet Elijah at this point. He's just had the greatest spiritual high that you can imagine. He's been on top of Mount Carmel uh, with, uh, with a kind of a battle with the prophets of Baal over whose God was the true God. A challenge was whoever sent fire down from heaven on the sacrifice. Uh, the prophets of Baal, they fail miserably. Elijah well, he soaks the sacrifice, jugs and jugs of water, and God sends fire, and the whole sacrifice is burnt off. It is proven that the living God is the true God to worship. And in that moment, you kind of imagine Elijah going, yes, finally. But the reality is, we find him at the start of chapter 19. Ahab the king tells his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword after, uh, as, as a response. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. His spiritual high comes crashing down. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Here we meet somebody who is tired and weary, physically and spiritually, who says, I've had enough. I've had enough. So how does God sustain this tired and weary Elijah? What does it look like? Verse 5. Then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Sleep. We need sleep. God doesn't. We saw that in, in, in Isaiah 40. I don't know if you ever thought, but the act of going to bed tonight is an act of trust in God. It's trusting that God's going to sustain everything while we are busy doing basically nothing other than the occasional snore and the bit of dribble that might come out. Sleep is how God restores our energy. And it might be that we need to get into good patterns of sleep and going to bed. I want to say if you're somebody who suffers with sleeplessness and insomnia, that's not a sign of you not trusting God. There might be other helps you need to reach for for that. But going to bed, 
It's a sign of trusting God. How does God sustain us? He, he sustains us by telling us, get some sleep. We read on, second half of verse 5. Uh, all at once an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. Food. We need food. God doesn't. Every meal is a reminder that we have a God who provides for us. When we miss out on our meals, we fade, we flag. Again, carving out time to eat and eating well in ways we know are good for our bodies is a sign of trust in God, recognizing him as our creator craftsman. Sometimes it's good for us to go without food, to fast. Jesus talks about that, doesn't he? It's an opportunity to focus our hearts on minds on the provider. To know that there is someone even more important than food for each day. But how does God sustain us and strengthen us so that we can soar and run and walk? He gives us sleep. He gives us food. We read on. Second half of uh, a verse. Strengthened by that food, Elijah traveled for 40 days, 40 nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Maybe Elijah doesn't realise this, but Elijah gets some exercise, doesn't he? Paul in 1 Timothy tells us uh, that physical training is of some value as, as long as we recognise that godliness is e of even more value. You and I, I don't need to tell you that our bodies slow up and our bodies wear out. Some of you kind of experiencing that maybe more than others. But there is something important. Whatever stage at life we're at, of looking after the bodies that God has given to us, so that we can do everything to the best of our ability. What, what that kind of exercise is going to look like for each of us is going to vary how we're wired, how we're built, how old we are. I could tell you all to go for a run tomorrow. But that's my thing. I don't know what it is for you. How does God sustain us? How do we soar? How do we um, run? How do we walk? We sleep. We eat. We get some exercise. There, Elijah, verse 9, went into a cave and spent the night. Now, this is the one that probably feels like I've crowbarred in the most. And maybe I have. But this idea of time that's set apart. You might call it Sabbath. You might call it a day of rest. You might just call it time doing something different. Elijah gets a 40-day walk. If you, if you meet vicars who go on sabbaticals, it normally involves them going on a multi-day walk. It's restful. It's reviving. It's restoring. Uh, Elijah has a night in a cave. He has a night away from things. It's not quite Lawn Dabby. It's this idea that there is time in our, in our week and other times that are set apart, maybe each year, each season of life, where we, we don't do what is absolutely necessary. We stop that, and we do what is life-giving. Because as we're doing that, we're trusting God with everything that's on our plate, everything that feels urgent and important, and going, God, we know you've got that. I know you've got me for that. 
But today I am going to choose what is life-giving and to worship you. Uh, for many people, uh, Sunday each week is a, is a great day to do that because you get to gather with God's people and, and include bats. But this isn't just about keeping Sunday special. It's about having a day a week and time each year and other times in seasons of life that are about recreation, or if you put a hyphen in, recreation. How does God sustain the weak and the weary? Food, sleep, exercise, times of rest. We read on verse second half of verse 9. Word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah has an encounter, a fresh encounter with God. Just as we need to continue to encounter God day by day. We have the Spirit of Christ living in us. Paul tells us we are being inwardly renewed as our, as our bodies on the outside give up. We're being renewed inside. So we need to spend time with our craftsman creator. A sort of time maybe every day. Times that don't look particularly dramatic. Involves our Bible, reflecting on it, praying. It might be in a particular place, or we might at times go to particular places because we just have a sense of being closer to God. And I don't think it is because God is more... It's closer to us in those places. I think it's just we go to places that refresh our souls, and that helps us. Times where we pour out our hearts to God. How does God sustain us? Sleep, food, exercise, time out, inward renewal. And the final few verses from 1 Kings 19 for us. Picking up at verse 15. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel. Oh, why don't I get someone else to read this? Um, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haz Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And whose mouths have not kissed him. God says to Elijah, there's still work to do. And there's still work to do with others. Elijah thinks he's on his own. God says, no, there's 7,000 others. We need friends. We're built for... We're built to be social beings. We need other people to, to live a healthy life. God doesn't. God's entirely content in who he is, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
creation and salvation all overflows out of, out of that. But we need friends. We need friends. Many of us, and I know it's, I think in my experience, true to say generally, particularly men, need to work at investing in good friendships. How does God sustain us? Sleep, food, exercise, days of rest, inward renewal, friends. I don't know, as we, uh, as we think on those different areas, which one particularly jumps out to you and kind of going, yeah, that's, that's the one that's not quite right in my life. I wonder, um, Ant, there should be a little, um, little dashboard. You know, if you, you, know, you know, on cars and you've got your, your dashboard in front of you with you know, your speedo and your rev counter and all that. Um, when something goes a bit wrong with your car, you get a light come up there, your warning light. Uh, it tells you something's up. What, what about if there was a dashboard for your life? Which warning light is showing? Is it to do with sleep? Is it to do with food? Is it to do with exercise? Is it to do with days of rest? Is it to do with inward renewal? Is it to do with friends? And I'm just going to give us um, some time and space this evening. Is it? Do you want to hand those out? You can have your own dashboard. And maybe just ask the Holy Spirit to be prompting you. If you're somebody who feels like all the lights on your dashboard are on, you're not going to be able to do stuff about all of them all at once. Which is the one that's on the brightest? And just ask, ask God, what could be one step you might be able to take in that area this week? If we try and fix everything all in one go, we end up falling over. But if we can take one step in one area this week, and that is a great work of God. Uh, in our lives. So as I uh, come round, uh, in a moment, there will just be a bit of music in the background. Um, if you want to draw on these, if you want to just look at them, if you want to fold them into a paper airplane to throw later on, it's entirely up to you. But I'm just going to read, again, those final verses that we heard um, from Isaiah 40 and pray for us as we do this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask now, you would help us to put our hope in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be helping to us to, to see how you would renew our strength. For each of us, would you highlight maybe something in our life that we need to pay attention to? Just one thing and one step we could take. And would you help us to live, live it out this week?
so that we might be able to walk or run or soar. Amen.